Chelsea Football Club. Are you a Chelsea Football Club fan? I am. I am. I haven't always been, but I am since yeah. I moved to London 15 years ago. Where did you move from? Well, I was sort of like down south, but my dad brought yeah, me up yeah. to support his club, which is like a northern club. So yep. I like I wanted a local club. So I'm, I'm raising my boys to be Chelsea fans, even <laughs> though Chelsea are doing terrible at the moment. Let's go. Well, I, ha- I have to admit something right off the gate here, Dan. I, the only reason I'm going to say my team is because in like middle school, I found them on FIFA and they're really good on like PlayStation Love 2. That. So yeah. I was a Man City fan. I couldn't tell you one player right now, though, so I'm a fake fan. So I don't know if that's going to ruin our relationship or... No, that's great, man. No, I love, I love City. I choose City over Man United, so yeah, yeah. it's a good choice, mate. They're doing great now. Yeah, that's good to hear. I haven't, I haven't been following it, so I love that. Well, Dan, tell me a little bit about you. Like, who really, like I said, this is a conversation, and anyone listening to this, really conversations exist because we need to have more conversations. I don't think we're having enough in the church, out of the church. doesn't matter. We need to have more dialogues in 2023. So excited to have a conversation. But, Dan, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, likewise, Josh. I can't wait to sort of hear more of your story. I love just watching, you know, some of your content that you've created. Um, but yeah, for me, I sort of age 10, my mom and dad got divorced and neither of them Christian at the time, but then separately both like encountered Jesus, married Christian partners. So I was taken to church from like age 11 every weekend, but all I saw was like the rules, religion, regulations. And I just, it wasn't, wasn't for me. So I was aware God was real because I'd seen him do something in their life, but it just wasn't for me. And then as soon as I was 18, got a one way ticket to Australia. Thought, let's get out of this rainy country and go somewhere warm. And then there, I just met some Christians and they took me like boxing, surfing to a connect group, small group. And literally their life itself was just so attractive. Like I live for the weekend. They live for something much bigger. I live for the moment. They definitely had this sense of purpose and significance. And then I asked them, why'd you live the way you live? And I was like, yes, Jesus. My journey started there, age 18, really. I love that. Well, did you, because obviously the ministry space, like what, what has been the last like couple years look like for you? Because I know that you're in alpha youth, right? That's what, and what has kind of been your journey in that space? Yeah. So like I became a Christian 18 and then I did a couple of years Bible college uh, in Australia and in, and in London. And then I started as a youth pastor at age 21, being in youth ministry for most of my so ministry life, but the last couple of years I was working for a church here in London and I was asked to be like the creative pastor. And so like do like, you know, everything from video and communications and like all that kind of stuff, website and social media. And I, I was like, nothing in me wanted to do it. Like I didn't, I didn't go to Bible college to be like, do comms, no. but I felt God said, felt God say like, you know, like the youth ministry was never yours anyway, just steward what I've asked you to look after. And, and so I did, and I learned so much like. Creatives are very different to youth pastors. Youth pastors, pastors are like, give me feedback. I want to grow. Creatives are like, don't tell me anything about what I've created. Just leave here alone. Right. So, yeah. So I like learned to lead creatives and love creatives. And I say all of that to say, you know, I finished working for this church for 10 years. And I was thinking, you know, what am I going to do next? And I had a conversation with Alpha. And they said, you know, they, they wanted someone to head up their global work with young people around the world. But you need to have creative skills so that you can, you know, create some new content, which is going to help young people. And it's funny because if I hadn't have done that creative season, I would never have got the skills or the experience I needed to do, you know, what I'm currently doing now. So even in the times when you're like, God, where are you? 
Like he's always sort of preparing you and getting you ready. That is so cool. I love that so much. Yeah, you don't even realize what that's what I was just talking to a friend last week. I was like, you don't really realize what you're learning in the season until you're out of the season. It's like until you're in the next yeah. season, then it's like, oh, that's what God was teaching me. I guess I didn't know that in that situation. So you've been in the youth ministry for a long time. I feel like we should talk a little bit about that. We do have our a big portion of our audience is young church leaders. They're like not not just young by age, but just experience level. So talk to me a little bit about youth ministry 2023. Like what what is it looking like to you? Because you do have that global perspective of youth ministries kind of all over the world. Like what what are you seeing right now that might even be some good insights for a listener and then also some really good health indicators of like, man, this is a thriving youth ministry to me. Yeah, great question, Jeff. It's interesting because, you know, Gen Z are like the biggest population or the biggest generation on the planet today. So there's something like 1.9 billion of them on the planet, you know, so, and because they're so big, like Nike and Adidas and KFC and any sort of like company or organization who need to sell to this product are listening, spending loads of money on research to listen to this generation. And then when they've listened to them, they're changing everything, like their methodology, their marketing, their campaigns, uh, their structure, their systems, they will literally drop everything so that they can sell to a generation. And it makes me think, you know, if that's what brands are doing, like how much more should the church be listening to young people, not to make profit off them, but to encourage them and support them and empower them. But unfortunately, like, as I do chat to different, like young people across the globe, the church is not really known for listening very well, you know, to the next generation. The church is more known for like teaching and, and teaching and proclamation and preaching is so important. And I'm not, not saying we should stop that, but. I think if we're really going to engage with young people, we need to like have a conversation and that conversation doesn't mean we're telling them to sit and listen to us. We're actually listening to them, meeting them where they're at, asking them questions. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like we, even in the church, I was on a panel maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and they, they asked like, if you're, if you're doing a youth service right now, what would you look, what, what would it look like? And me and the panel were like, I don't, I mean, why don't you just ask them? Like, why don't you sit yeah. down and ask a youth 12 year old, what do you want in a service? Like we feel like we always try to be the experts and sometimes it's like, probably don't need to be the expert here. Probably just need to listen and apply it. Like you're in the place yeah. of authority. So just make the decision and move on. So no, I love that. Really. I mean, in that creative space, so you highlighted something that I think is super fun to talk about leading creatives. Like we, I feel like I, I, I have creativity in my system. Like I, I have attributes of a creative, but I don't think I'm a creative. I think I'm more operational uh, and like systematized. Right. But when you're when you're leading a creative, what are some things that you're seeing that hey, this really helps leading a creative? On the other side of it, what are some things you're like, don't do this when you're leading a creative? Yeah, and that's funny that you'd say that you don't see yourself as a creative because from the outside looking in, I think you're such a creative person True in terms that. of like you know the content and um, aesthetics. And I think that's one of the things, you know, obviously, you know, it says in Genesis, we're creating God's image. And when we sort of like reflect the characteristics of God, obviously glory goes back to him. And God is a creative, he is creative, right? He created the heavens and the earth without Pinterest. He created you and me without Instagram for inspiration. So there's an element, I think, where all of us are creative, even if you're creating like an Excel spreadsheet or your parent creating a dinner for your kids. Like there's always levels. I guess maybe some people, you know, would not identify as like being artistic. 
and I would, I would say, yeah, I'm not really an artist. I'm kind of like, I can do a lot of things, but none of, none of them like really well in the kind of creative space. But I do love, you know, trying to create, to, to take something, to innovate. And I, I think for me, when it comes to leading creatives, the main thing is that you don't leave like it's a, a dictation. You're saying, hey, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. I want you to create or make or innovate to fulfill what I am trying to achieve. I think you need to sit with creatives and right from the beginning, sort of saying like, first of all, let's just, let's just pray. Let's just spend some time with the Holy Spirit. Like what, what are we going to do here? Like what's, what's this youth night going to be? What's this conference going to be? What's this uh, theme or topic, you know, together, let's all hear from the Holy Spirit. To, you know, so even right than the place of origin, we're all listening together to the Holy Spirit. And then I think along the way really just comes down to really clear communication. And I think, you know, Everything comes down a lot by email and WhatsApp and DMs today. But when it comes to communication, this guy called Albert Merobin is a scientist. He realized that 45% of it is tone of voice, 50% of it is body language, and then only 5% of it is words. And so most of what we communicate effectively comes from body language and tone of voice, which obviously gets taken out when it's just text or email. You know, even we've DM'd on Instagram, but this is the first time I've met you face to face. And already I feel like I know you 10 times more than any DM because of the body language and the tone of voice. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is when we're leading creatives, it takes more time to set up a face-to-face. -face. It takes more time to have a meeting than it does just to fire off a load of like changes via email or text. But I think I've learned the hard way. The best thing to do is create that thing so they can create that space so they can hear my heart, my body language, my tone of voice, so I can hear back from them and take them on the journey. So they know the why behind the what, so that we literally create this thing together, the whole process. No, I mean, it's so, so brilliant. And you, like you said, it, it's fun learning about people, not even just through messages, but having that first coffee or having that first conversation of just really deep diving into the, the person. And that's even my wife and I, like when we go, when we go on dates with other couples, she's always like, Josh, you ask so many questions during dinner. I'm like, well, yeah. duh, I want to, I want to ask you. <laughs> I want to ask a thousand questions because yeah. I just want to, I just, I, I love learning about people and you can tell a yep. lot about somebody right when they're next to their spouse for sure. Well, I, really Funny. kind of a pivot here. I love, I love asking this question. We've asked this, I think on every single episode, this is a 55th episode right now. So that's well, wow. but th this, this concept of discipline, I think that word is obviously used a lot in the church and out for you. What does discipline look like? But two what does your routine look like? Because obviously you're kind of leading a global ministry. You have kids, you have a wife, like there's a lot of things mm -hmm. that you're, you are handling and stewarding really, really well. And from afar, it seemed like you are a disciplined person. Obviously you're doing boxing and stuff. So that's cool. But talk to me a little about that. Like what, what does that look like? What is your weekly routine? Maybe if you even have like a daily one. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, no, I'm very routine, very disciplined. I haven't always been that way. But I've had to become that way as I guess um, more people have relied on me, uh, whether it's to do leadership or whether it's fatherhood or whether it's just being a good husband to my wife. Like if I'm not disciplined, if I'm not organized, then ultimately they're the people that are going to have the negative impact of that. So really discipline, I don't think it's like a, a selfish thing. Like how can I be better? Uh, how can I be a better me? It's more about how can I steward the level of leadership and responsibility I have. And I think discipline is the reason um, that can become better. And so what I've had to do is just like, you know, even me and my wife, like we have regular budget meetings and we have regular like diary meetings. And it's so weird, like having those meetings with your wife. But if we don't, if we're not disciplined in that area, 
then we can't say yes to helping this person or uh, be able to do the extra mile things that we might want to. So what we found is that by being really disciplined, it's enabled us to have more margin for us to be able to kind of help more. Sometimes we think the opposite that, you know, you know, not, not bringing organization to your life means that you can do more, but I've found it differently. If I'm really organized with my, with my diary, then I can see the flexibility so I can actually, you know, be more fruitful in those areas and, and do those random, you know, acts of kindness that I hope I'll always be able to do you kind of like my whole life. But I think ultimately when it comes down to, to discipline, you really can't compare yourself to anybody else. And I think that's the, the one thing about social media today is that, of course, we all know it's just people's highlights. And so looks like they're in the gym, looks like they're reading 10 books a week. It looks like they're doing this and they're doing that. And then we think, well, I'm not like that. But the best advice I'd give when it comes to discipline is like, what would that next step look like for you to be a little bit more disciplined? It might be just making the bed every day. It might be, you know, keeping your house tidy for a week. I don't know, a few practical small things to get a win. And once you win in those areas, you find that discipline is something that you can grow in and develop. And then you might get to a place where you can be more disciplined in the harder things. And then finally, I just say, I have six days where I'm very disciplined and I have one day, my Sabbath, where I'm just like so undisciplined. Like I'll just eat whatever I want, do whatever I want, just relax, turn off my phone and just really make sure that I've got those days as well. What on your Sabbath, what is your, do you have a routine on your Sabbath or do you, you just kind of rock and see whatever happens, happens? Yeah. So my Sabbath will either be Saturday or Sunday. Because if I'm speaking at churches on a Sunday, then I'll take my Sabbath on a Saturday. If I'm not speaking on a Sunday, then I'll do a Sabbath on a Sunday. But yeah, I remember a great guy, John Mark Comer, wrote in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He talked about like pleasure stacking on your, on your Sabbath. So like for me, my fun things are definitely times with my boys, with my kids and my family. And even though that physically drains me, like emotionally and spiritually, it like uh, refuels me. And then I'll just eat a lot of, you know, not, not too much, but I'll eat uh, a consumption of like chocolate and carbohydrates and pastries yeah. and all those fun things. I love the cinema. I love movies. I love TV shows, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I just kind of like relax and enjoy it. What about you? What do you so do? So much fun. Yeah. And our Sabbath, I mean, even in the first probably five years of ministry, I don't think I did a Sabbath. I think that was kind of like a thing you don't do. You're like, man, that's another day I could be working. So I was doing business stuff as well. So we finally... Once, honestly, I think once my wife and I got married, we've only, we've been married for two and a half years. We started on Saturdays, obviously, because Sunday we were, we were in a church plant. So we had like four services, getting there at 4.50 a.m., setting up all that stuff. And so Saturdays we'd go to a coffee shop. I'm, I'm an introvert, so I refresh around myself. So I'd sit for three hours with just a cup of coffee, no phone, and just my journal. You call it a diary. I call it a journal. So that's really cool. Yeah. So I just sit and then really from Saturdays at college football, football here, obviously American football is different, but yeah, I would watch a little football, eat some food. Usually Saturday nights we'll, we'll get dinner with some friends or dinner with ourselves or whatever, but it's really refreshing kind of just being alone, having no agenda. We, it's, we have like a framework, I would say we have a framework to our Sabbath, but we definitely do not. Uh, have any plans and I've, now we live in California so it is different because we can go to Malibu we can go to the beach I haven't learned how to surf nice. yet so maybe in uh -huh. the in the two hours we'll hang out in London you can teach me the methods of surfing but we, we're not <laughs> yet I want to so bad Dan I want to I, yeah. I have the desire to to surf but my ego doesn't want a coach or <laughs> to learn from somebody yeah. I'm just kidding yeah. I'm just kidding but 
You, you said Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, though. That book, I think, was one of the top three books that's really changed the way I lead, the way I yeah. be, I am a husband, all of that. So shout out to John Mark Comer. He's incredible. Well, yeah. yeah. I Something that I, I think will be fun asking you. So I've been having conversations with leaders, even over coffee, over Zoom, over podcasts. What are some green green flags and red flags of a leader in the church. Maybe you're leading them. Maybe they're above you. And I've asked this to people, and it's so fun discovering the things that leaders see because I think that tells a lot about not just their calling and all that, but just really their journey. So what are some things where you're saying, hey, this is this is really good indicators of, man, that, that person is healthy. They're on fire for God. They're moving. And then on the other side of it, these are some things we're like, man, you really need to self-awareness one, and then two, have a conversation maybe with them. Yeah. Wow. Great question. Yeah, I think, and we've already touched on a little bit, but leaders who are like master listeners, a bit like Jesus, obviously we read the Bible and we see all the red that he spoke, but actually when you get into the red, you see that a lot of what he's saying is actually questions, asking people, meaning where they're at. And so I think a leader who is like a master listener, a leader who is never a professional, but always acts like a beginner. So professionals get to this place where they know everything. They're the experts and they stop listening. Where beginners are always, you know, going into places, absorbing and, you know, a little bit like, you know, you, Josh, that the one thing I love about you is that you meet with lots of different people, go into different spaces and you're just like, you're there to learn. And I think learning and listening is a posture of humility. And I think it's that humility, which I think, is so attractive to especially young people who are looking for leaders. They're not, I don't think, this is just my opinion, I don't think they're really looking for leaders who have got all the answers. They're actually looking just for leaders who will journey with them in the exploration of the answers and who can like really model. So I'd say, yeah, uh, a leader who is a learner, who's a listener, humble, I'd say a leader who is, who cares more about being a role model than an influencer. A role model, the difference between influencer and role model is that an influencer impacts the outside. So wear your hair like this, wear your makeup like this, go to this place on holiday, all external. But a role model impacts your inside, your heart, your character, your values, your principles. And so growing up, people asked me, you know, who is your role model? And I'd say this footballer called David Beckham, you know, I had all of his haircuts, even like the, the cane row, the braids, which was terrible. Oh, it's really bad season of my life. You know, he impacted, impacted my tattoos. A lot of them were influenced by him. I had the Adidas football predators, the boots. But David Beckham was not a role model. He was only an influencer to me because he only changed the outside. When I think about role models in my life, it was like my dad, my stepdad, um, the, 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 the young adult pastor who led me to Jesus when I was 18. You know, those are the people who have really impacted my inside. And so I think leaders who are like that, who are more, more focused on being a role model than an influencer, who are really aware of like how they live their life in the private, in the small place, not just how they are in the big place and the big platforms. I think, yeah, there, there are a couple of like just green flags that I'd be looking for. I love that. And David Beckham, what a guy, right? He, I mean, what a guy. When he came over, I, I was probably in elementary school when he came over to America in soccer, but I, he's still, he's still rocking it. He's the coolest guy in the world, I think. It's like every, because yeah. here's the deal. You, it's an 18 year old girl has a crush on him and an 80 year old girl has a crush on him. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's an indicator. Yeah. That guy has been as cool as he has since he's been 17. So shout we yeah, got John, John, John Mark Comer and David Beck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. having like our, our, our list of uh, heroes over here. Let's go. Bring them. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. I love that. Yeah. Well, even pivoting, I, I really respect you as, as a husband and a father. I, 
really just want to jump into that side of the the conversation and we'll wrap up here but what are you what are you and your wife doing right now that you've been doing since you were dating that you're saying hey josh I would recommend this to somebody. Maybe they are just dating. Maybe like my wife and I, we've been mm. married for two and a half years. Like we have so much to learn. I always say it's our sophomore year. It's like our second year of college. Basically, yeah. It's like we're still figuring things out. So what, what are some things that you guys maybe are, are doing or maybe have learned along the way that I don't have to experience? I can just learn today. Yeah, totally. I mean, so we've been married 13 years and it's, so, it's been an amazing 13 years. Like I really am, you know, so grateful for my wife, but it hasn't been perfect. It's had a lot of like hardship along the way. My wife suffers with epilepsy and there was one time she had a seizure and her, her shoulder like popped out and just, we've just had some, some moments and even like in church, we've had some times when it's just like manipulative leadership. And there's been moments in our marriage when we've gone through some real tough times and you know, it, when I say tough times, it's just tough times to us. To some people, it wouldn't be tough. To some people, it would be really tough. But for us, it's been tough. And in those moments, we've just kept encouraging each other to press in to Jesus. And I know that sounds so simple and so cliche, but literally, like, if my one role is just to keep encouraging Charlie, you know, in her walk with Jesus, and she does the same to me. And when when I've got certain blind spots and she's like, hey, you know, is that jealousy or is that insecurity or did you mean to say that about that person? And when she pulls me up on stuff and when I pull her up on stuff, it never feels great in the moment. We always feel really rubbish, but yet we're so thankful that we've got someone in our life who will tell us the truth. And we all know we've been in conversations with people and then you've gone to the bathroom after you've looked in the mirror and you've seen you've had a like, massive piece of like green lettuce or something in your teeth or you had something in your face. And you're like, I just had a conversation with someone and they never told me. And that's because they didn't have the courage or the confidence or feel comfortable to tell you. But I think the one thing in our marriage is that we've always been comfortable enough, even though it might be awkward in the moment, to tell each other the truth. Even though we know the truth hurts, we're saying it in love so that we can both grow together and grow in our relationship with Jesus. So, yeah, I'll just say, you know, as much as you can do that, do yeah. it. Yeah, well, it's super good. I mean, we we were a part of a church plant for about five years. We planted two campuses. And 2020 was the year our campus planted in Central America, like right in the middle and five weeks in campus shuts down because of COVID-19 we I'm sure this podcast will get flagged now by the way just said it one time but <laughs> but we we shut down for like two months came back thriving I mean salvations new people like it was life-giving fun incredible place January 2021 our our lead pastors transition out of our church our campus gets shut down within six days this is like we're not even married yet. We're engaged. We're, wow. So 2020 is when we started really dating. 2021 is when we got engaged slash married. That was when our lead pastor transitioned out and our campus shut down because of that. So I feel like what you just said kind of kind of spoke to the last couple of years of our life. And I feel like finally we're on the other side of it and we moved. We're in a new environment, new in a, in a new church. Great. And seeing that like you just said encouraging encouraging one another and then also making sure we are keeping the main thing the main thing like we it's super easy to play the blame game to live in bitterness or hurt and yeah. we just we just won't be those people we cannot be those people because we know uh we've had moments of that but we won't <laughs> sit in it you know what i mean so it's super super That's helpful great. and i don't i don't know if you've yeah. had any experiences where you're like man this this kind of hurts. This is the thing that we thought we were doing for the rest of our lives. And it pivots really quick. And 
we're, I mean, we're still right in the middle of a journey of discovering kind of what that season was, what our new season is and all of that. So I don't know if you have anything to speak into that situation of like, man, that, because it happens, I think more than not in the church, regardless of, it doesn't have to be a, a massive thing for somebody to not, uh, to experience church hurt. And I think we use that term and we've almost used it not too much. I think the other side, people use that excuse to not listen and listen to someone's pain because it's like, oh, church hurt. Yeah. We just say that too much. It's like, no, but people were hurt and it was a part of the church. So I feel like that's just yeah what people say, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah, I think ultimately like, we're all human beings and we will make decisions which have a negative impact on people. Some will do it more than others. People who don't have accountability and a circle around them will just go on hurting people. Hopefully you've got a circle around you. They'll tell you the truth when you're doing it. But, you know, you know, clearly in the Bible with Saul and David, you know, Saul was his insecure leader. And because of that, he pushed David out. And a lot of the time we read it and we identify with David and not Saul. But the truth is, is that we've got aspects of Saul and David in both of us. So in, our, in us, in, in, in life. And so we need to make sure like we're trying to be the best leader we can. When we have bad leadership in front of us, we can learn from the bad just as much as the good. And so anything that has been bad, we can say, well, that's how I'm not going to lead, you know, and then, you know, you kind of right, take that as a, as, as a application to like, not what to do, you know, moving forward. And then, yeah, I think ultimately, like, I'm really, I really believe that, you know, Gen Z will have its own problems when they come to lead. But again, I think this current culture of just calling out what isn't healthy, that's a good, that's a good thing. It's a, it's a great thing. And as painful as it might be. I think for the people that have been hurt, you know, to process it, get therapy. A lot of my friends have had therapy. My wife's had therapy. I haven't yet, but I'm not opposed to it. I'm, I'm very open to getting therapy. But I just think, yeah, if we could just become more healthy leaders, it's only going to become, we're only going to create more healthy environments that we lead. Yeah, no, for sure. I feel like the an indicator for me that really helped me now that I get to share with others and in, in maybe in a similar season as I was in was... The things you're observing right now, do you feel like you're supposed to learn from them or you're supposed to be the solution to them? And right. one of those two is going to help you decide what you're supposed to be doing within whatever short amount of time or long amount of time. And that, that for me was a super healthy, I feel like, conversation to have with my wife is like the things we're seeing, are we actually supposed to be the solution to this? Like, are we just supposed to go all, yeah. all in in this situation and help kind of problem solve or... Are we supposed to move on and just learn from it and take it in and say, this is who we're not going to. So I love that. And I really have enjoyed our conversation, Dan. I feel like if you could give one last piece of advice, let's just say this, a 21 year old listening to this podcast and they're saying, man, I really look up to Dan. I look up to Josh. I'm excited about this conversation. And what, what is one thing that you, they can take today and go, man, I, I can get better today because of this. Yeah. I would just say our whole culture and society causes us to focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have, causes us to be unhappy rather than grateful and satisfied. So I'd just say, just see every day and just thank God for what he has done in your life, regardless of what you've got. And then take a moment to text someone, DM someone, call them and encourage them. Like, like actually, when you encourage someone, you are giving them courage. And I think we're, we're in, in, a, in a generation where even in myself, I include myself, where we struggle with fear and anxiety. And I think one way we can break that is by giving each other courage, strengthening one another. And so I think we should be, we should just be champions and ambassadors of just like, you know, encouraging one another. I love that so much. And I appreciate your time today. I feel like we had a great conversation and I'm excited to have 
in-person conversation, hopefully with our, with our wives and maybe I get to meet your kids. Yeah. I'm excited. Absolutely. So what, what are some things even off the top of your head? So we're staying in central London and I don't know necessarily where I've literally never been to, I've never been to London. So we're just pulling up 